Welcome to The Art of Bridging, a podcast series brought to you by the Distant Voices Project. Hungry but I can't eat Not allowed and don't sleep In my own bed Over the last four years, we've been using songwriting to explore crime, punishment and reintegration. The project has brought musicians together with people who have experience of the Scottish criminal justice system from lots of different angles. We wanted to find out more about what it's like to re-enter society after punishment. By making and sharing these songs, we set out to bring some colour to conversations that often play out in black and white. In this new podcast series, we want to invite you into our sonic world. You'll hear songs, voices, poetry and conversations from right across the diverse community of people that have been involved. In the Distant Voices community, we all have different connections to the criminal justice system. Some of us have been in prison, or still are. Some of us have had a family member in prison. Some of us work in prisons or do research about crime and punishment. Some of us are musicians or artists who work alongside people in prison. And lots of us have experienced more than one of these things. The important thing to remember is that none of us is defined by any one experience or story. My name is Lucy Cathcart Froden and I'm interested in in in-between spaces and how to bridge them. I want to know more about how being creative together helps us find common ground and understand each other better. I'm going to be your host over the next six episodes as we explore together the art of bridging. In today's episode, along with my guests Fergus and Ian, we'll be thinking about what imprisonment does to people's support networks and mapping some of the practical and emotional barriers to reintegration after prison. So I, I think it I think it destroys relationships. It's one of those kind of paradoxes that you often get in the criminal justice system that it doesn't deliver it doesn't deliver what it intends and sometimes it almost produces the very opposite thing. We'll be reflecting on some tunes from the project and we'll also be giving you an exclusive listen to a song from the Distant Voices Archive and hearing how that song connects with some guest listeners. So, a warm welcome to Fergus and Ian. Tell us about a song that you're enjoying right now. I'll I'll kick off, um, because I did think about this in advance. It was such a difficult question. This might be a little bit obscure because the person's a brand new artist, uh, but she's called Olivia Rafferty, um, and she does have a family connection to Jerry Rafferty, the famous uh, Paisley-born um, songwriter from a few decades back. And she's got her first EP coming out this month. I don't think it's out yet, but the song that she's got, one of the songs that she's released already, is a single called Grace. Yeah, I've been enjoying listening to. Uh, a song called Memory, Memory by Volbeat. Volbeat is a Danish band, sort of folky, rocky, rockabilly. If you've never heard them, I think you should give it a wee go. Okay, top tip. You have both co-written songs as part of Distant Voices. Could you give us three words to describe how that process felt? Do you know the first word that comes into my mind is terrifying, um, and and maybe not so much anymore. But if if I go back to the beginning of the process for me, the first time I did it, uh, it felt pretty frightening. But also exhilarating and and ultimately really satisfying. Um, 
Yeah, there's lots of reasons for that, but one of them, just briefly, is that I love the fact that you can start with absolutely nothing and in a short space of time end up with something which is complete in itself um, and which uh, holds something important in it, mm -hmm. like some experience or some story in it, in a, in a lovely uh, capsule, a sonic mm. capsule. So, um, yeah, I would say... Terrifying, exhilarating, satisfying would be my three. I think you've captured the whole roller coaster ride there. It's definitely <laughs> a, a combination of all of the above for me as well. Ian, what was your experience of uh, co-writing a song? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a good creative process, exciting, and accomplishment at the end. So that'd be my three: creative, exciting, accomplishment. Great. And did you find it a scary process? Um, no, I wouldn't say it was terrifying. I think it was. Uh, no, it was. It was. It was a fun process, and uh, over the time that we were writing it, you know, it changed and morphed, and so you end up getting that end result. So, what you start with to what you finish was a completely different uh, thing. And the magic happens in a really short space of time too. Very short. We're going to be chatting more in episode two about how these songs have been created. Most of them have been written in what we call Vox Sessions. These are intensive songwriting workshops over two or three days that bring together diverse groups of people, sometimes in prison, sometimes in community settings. Vox Sessions are full of energy and ideas and connections. Tune into episode two to hear more about how they work. For now, though, let's rewind a bit to the name of the podcast, The Art of Bridging. We're imagining coming home from prison as being a bit like crossing a river. Sometimes that river is safe enough to cross. Maybe there are stepping stones or hands held out from the opposite bank. A lot of the time, though, it's a tumbling, white-watered river full of dangerous currents that could sweep you away. And there's no clear way to get to safety on the other side. In the art of bridging, we're going to be trying to understand better what it's like to try to make that crossing and how we can work in different ways from different places to build the kinds of bridges that are needed for a safer and fairer society where everyone has a chance to thrive. In this episode, we're going to try to understand some of the currents in the river and how they cause harm. So let's turn our ears to one of the songs from Distant Voices. Here's Lisa to introduce the track. This is Never Got To Say Goodbye, written by Shuggy with Donna Machocha and myself. Here's what Shuggy had to say about the song. My dad died earlier this year while I was in prison. I never got to say goodbye to him properly, so writing the song felt a bit like that for me. I had to turn up to his funeral in cuffs. It's about all the good times I remember with him from a few years ago, and to tell him that we all miss him. He thought he was getting a boy, and he called me Shuggy from the day I was born. Turning 
track isn't it it certainly is what did you make of the song was there a particular line or a part of the song that you reacted to or that interested you yeah i found it was kind of haunting a wee bit uh the way it was it was put together uh i did like the the line the, the comfort in the clouds i thought that was quite clever for me well there's two things lyrically that stand out one is just that refrain never got to say goodbye which tells you everything you need to know really about the song and the situation and then the i don't know whether it's a bridge or a mid late but the um mum's lost without you and then the naming of all the people and i I just as i was listening to it that time i was thinking maybe the, the song Obviously, the person writing the song was in prison and therefore not able to be part of the family's grieving process together. 
And I must say, the, the first time I heard that song was the first time I ever thought about that, to my shame. Like, it, it had never occurred to me to think about grief in prison and, and grief going through a loss and, and grief while separated. Um, and so the, the song kind of brings that home really, really forcefully. But that, that moment where everybody's named strikes me today as a kind of moment of solidarity. Mom's lost without you One, one last thought that popped in my head today listening to it is just that although you know the lockdown that we all experienced with COVID is not uh, like being in, in prison or wasn't like being in prison, it did mean that a lot of people, myself included, went through grief in conditions where they were separated, physically separated from family. And so I can I relate to the song more personally than I did the first time I heard it. And that doesn't that doesn't blunt its impact. If anything, it it maybe deepens it. Thinking more about that idea of separation, what does imprison imprisonment tend to do with people's relationships with family and friends? I think everybody will be affected one way or another. There's relationships that will break down because of prison, getting separated from your kids. It takes a toll. Visiting people in prison takes at all. I've seen some people coming back from visits and being fairly upset and it's not an easy thing. You know, you're going to have a quick half hour or 40 minutes or whatever it might be and it's then that separation. You're going your way, they're going back to a life that you're not part of. So I think it it destroys relationships more than strengthens them. In some cases, there is that sort of thing where you're kind of going through it together, but I still think it takes a, a terrible toll on relationships. I think it's going to affect certainly young kids going into that environment. Is it fair that they should be going through that sentence? That parent isn't really with them to do their homework or, or to guide them or help them at the moment of their need. For the people inside, it's I would say equally stressful to not be part of that child's life or somebody's life. I think, um, I mean, this sounds so obvious it it shouldn't have to be said, but um, I don't think we think about it enough. Like when when somebody's put in prison. A whole set of people are compelled to live separate lives, um, and and it's not just a separation of place. Like obviously, the the being put in prison puts you a, away from belonging with the people that you love and 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 experiencing life day to day with them, which is a massive thing. But it also it also plunges people into a series of lives, all of which are affected by punishment by imprisonment but in different ways i think it's it's probably hard to overstate just how disruptive and damaging that is um even even when on the surface it's being done well like good family visits good use of mobile phones maybe even tablets and cells whatever you can do to make it a little bit less bad can't really take away from the fundamental 
problem of lives that are being separated. There's loads of other projects working on that, and in fact Vox Liminus, which is the host of Distant Voices, is also the host of The Kin Project, which explores young people's experiences of familial imprisonment. So there's there's loads of stuff on the Vox Liminus website coming from the Kin Collective about uh, how they reflect on um, and make sense of, of, of their experiences and what they think needs to change as well. And just to add to that, Vox Liminus also runs the In Tune Project, which is a family music-making project in prisons that I've been involved with. We go in and run family music-making sessions with lots of noise and laughter and silly songs. It's an incredible privilege to help bring a bit of lightness into that awful situation. And the families often comment on how meaningful it is for them to have that time that's just for them. But at the same time, it really brings home that absolute shattering grief at the moment when they have to say goodbye and the dads go through one door and the families go through a different door and that's it for that week. It's pretty devastating. Brutal. This is a huge subject and I don't want to move us on too quickly, but I guess that's it's part of a wider array of problems. So prison causes this separation from your loved ones and any support network that you might have. And as you've said, Ian, it destroys relationships. So that's a huge difficulty when coming back out. But at the same time, there are so many other currents in this river that make re-entry more difficult. There are lots of practical barriers when you come out of prison. I wonder if either of you would like to talk a bit about that? Yeah. It's quite a, a a thing coming out of prison. There is loads of barriers. Mostly you're going to get released on a licence and the conditions on that licence vary from individual to individual. Some of it can be quite restrictive. I can give you an example of a guy that I know who is a, is a very young man, and I mean very young, in his teens he committed a crime and alcohol was involved. That guy went on to do amazing stuff in prison, got his degrees and, and stuff, and he was a completely changed man. When he got released from prison, one of the licence conditions was about going into anywhere, really, that, that sold alcohol. Well, he had a, a young child just as, a, as he got uh, released, and... That was a problem for him because he couldn't go to the supermarket to pick up nappies or general things for the house because of that license condition. He was going to break his license condition just going into a supermarket. It it ruled out every corner store, everywhere he actually buy groceries. Where do you go that doesn't sell alcohol? And it's kind of ridiculous. So what's he meant to do? One of the other really interesting things about that scenario is that um, it's not just the way that the license condition is worded, it's it's the uncertainty of how it's going to be interpreted. Um, so being, being placed in a position where you're vulnerable to the judgment of an individual, um, in, in the Scottish context, a social worker who's supervising that license in the community and not being sure whether what their view is of you going in a supermarket um, to buy nappies when it might be a technical violation of a condition which is drafted in that way but uh, that there's there's lots of other examples of, of people who talk about people on licenses who talk about the the uncertainty that that 
that situation creates, the feeling of life and liberty being really, really precarious um, and, 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 and being made intensely vulnerable by, um, by the kind of post-release uh, supervision process, even although, in theory, that process is designed to support people's successful reintegration. Um, so that it's, it's one of those kind of paradoxes that you often get in the criminal justice system, um, that it doesn't deliver, it doesn't deliver what it intends. And sometimes, sometimes it, it almost produces the, the, the very opposite thing. A thing that I was going to bring up was the difficulty of uh, your identification, getting released from prison after being away for a while. Things are either out of date or lost, misplaced. You can get out of prison, you don't have any documents at all. You need to update your driver's licence. You need to prove your identification in order to get that licence. How do you prove your identification if you don't have any identification. So you find yourself on this crazy merry-go-round loop. How do you get a bank account? How do you get a passport? That is a nightmare. Registering with a GP is another one, isn't it? Like getting yes, even access to the most basic primary health care. Every um, single thing is, is, is problematic when you've got no identification. There's also like the the delay in establishing a benefits claim, uh, or for people from from overseas, that would be like a claim to public assistance. Um, in the Scottish context, you you can't apply from inside a prison, so you have to apply on the day of release and then wait, um, and it can take six weeks to process the initial claim, uh, during which time you're left really with nothing except a very small discharge grant from the prison and also you, 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 the same is true if you if you're released without without an address to go to because of, you know maybe there's nobody in your family that's able or willing to have you back and you're you have to kind of go to a certain place in Glasgow and present as homeless so to me I was going to say it's criminal <laughs> maybe that's a good word for it but it's it's criminal that people who we know are going to be released on a given day at a given time can't be released in a planned way to uh, an arranged destination with public assistance in place if they need it um, and with immediate access to a GP and a bank account and identification. I mean the prison knows who they are so how, how we can't have a system that addresses all of those really fundamental basic needs. They just open the door you know, you get your papers and whatever, and out you go. And there will be some people that will find themselves in a position where they've got nowhere to go. It's maybe not the best of weather. And then what are they supposed to do? I read that um, research that said that 30% of people leaving prison have no home to go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, quite bad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, we're, I, actually, the... The conversation we've been having so far is mainly talking about people, the licence stuff only applies to people who've served over four years in Scotland. Those are the people that come out with 
supervision and, and licensed conditions. Um, people serving shorter sentences are still technically on licence, but they're not supervised or supported. Um, and often they're people that are cycling in and out of prison quickly on short sentences in really unstable and unsettled life circumstances, many times with, with addiction-related issues. Faced with this kind of alienating exit from prison, it's one of the reasons why there's such a strong relationship between um, release from prison and drug deaths. Just thinking about coping mechanisms and survival, that leads us into our next song, which Jill is going to introduce for us. Hello, this is Jill, and I worked on Autopilot with Lee. When talking about the track, Lee said, My song is more about the state of mind you need to cope with prison life, a way of being, a way of living while being incarcerated. I use autopilot as a coping mechanism, where there's not much thinking needed. Our days melt into one, therefore time flies by. When I met Lee, he said something similar to me when I was reading the lyrics that he'd handed me. I asked him what kind of music he liked, and he said... Interesting music. I like rock, but I like it to sound interesting and maybe driving. And I thought, well, that's really what I'm hearing when I listen to these lyrics. I'm holding on to autopilot, autopilot for tonight. Autopilot doesn't choose. Oh, 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 
actually felt quite moved listening to autopilot in the context of this conversation. I've heard it lots before, I really love it, but I felt like it landed differently today. Maybe that I understand a bit more about why you might need autopilot because the emotional complexity of what you're facing is just too much. No, I, I, I heard it the same today. Like, uh, But it's different, isn't it? Like, like what, what I think that song conveys to me is the way in which for some people in prison surviving the suffering of the institution and of the process of institutionalization um requires this kind of tuning out or or zoning out um as a as, just as a as a sort of coping mechanism um and of course that that itself that zoning out um that going on autopilot is becoming institutionalized like that's i think I, I think of it anyway as being totally tied up with that so whereas what we've just been talking about before the song is is things that are wrong with the system and the kind of systemic failures of re-entry processes um this is about what I, what imprisonment actually does to the person going through it and how that i think and I'm interested to hear what Ian thinks about this, but I think that stores up a problem for later. Well, that's what I was just going to come in on, actually. So uh, I know they've done studies on it about how you're supposed to be institutionalised after X amount of time, but it's different for everybody. If somebody's been in prison, even for a short time, it changes them. And then how are they going to get back out a changed person, not always for the better, mentally. If you've been in longer, say, say you've done a life sentence or you know, you've done over 10 years, you almost definitely will be institutionalised, whether you agree with that or not. And to get back out into a world and then you're supposed to just switch that off and then just become a member of society again is a ridiculous notion. What happens to you mentally then if you've created your mind into such a, a messed up thing that's happened where you become a prisoner? You know, you, you've got to learn to become a prisoner. You know, it's not that day that you get locked up. You need to learn that process how to become how do you unlearn how to become a prisoner? A thing that's that's never ever spoken about when they're talking about rehabilitation. You know, you're supposed to just come out and go on with it. Well, it might not be easy for some people. And certainly if, if they've they've got any mental health problems or addiction problems, that's just going to amplify anything that's going on. And it, and I think that needs to be looked at, you know, if if you've been damaged inside, how do you undo all that and become like a regular person? Do you ever get rid of the thing that you've been inside? So actually, like, the, the song's taken on another kind of twist because of what you've just said, Ian. So 
what what you're talking about is the the challenge or the difficulty of switching off autopilot uh, when you've had it on for a long time. Yeah. Um, but the the I was thinking the 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 way the song sounds, I I find it like wonderfully hypnotic, and that's a, that's also a nice like sonic metaphor for what you're describing. So like the the institution hypnotizes you, and so it's it's kind of in your head, and coming out of the trance. Um, a trance which has been intrinsic to the way that you've survived the experience is 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 no mean feat. Like, and, and as, as you say, rehabilitation doesn't really try to engage or even think about that. Rehabilitation is mostly about, at least in the way that it's practiced in our country, it's most about it's mostly about trying to teach people to think and act differently in relation to their previous offending behaviour, but. The problem of, of coming home or, or of reintegration is not just about the conduct that you need to avoid in the future. It's about all of the harm of imprisonment itself that has to be survived and moved beyond if that's at all possible. And yet, as you say, I don't think rehabilitation and and reintegration takes that seriously enough or, or engages with the... Um, the depths of that experience, really. I agree with what you're saying now. I mean, that's why we're getting reoffending rates that are so high in this country. But the problem is, people will then attribute that reoffending to some sort of flaw or failure in the person, and this and the you know the kind of system narrative, the and the the media narrative would be that people reoffend because they're flawed or failed people. Um, I would want to say. It's not that; it's that the system produces reoffending um, because of the way that it harms people um, and makes worse problems that pre-existed imprisonment, um, and therefore weakens and diminishes people's capacity to put together a life which is good for them and good for other people around them. Um, that's the kind of weird paradox of punishment. Um, we kind of say that we do it to right a wrong and to make things better but as far as i can see most of the time all that we do is pile pain on pain um without much mm. constructive effect i'm concerned that we're sounding a bit hopeless <laughs> well yeah there is hope. we have got a hopeful note to end on um but yeah, I, I mean, I was just, I was, I had in my, my notes that I was going to ask the question uh, to sum up, if you had the power to change one thing about how the criminal justice system works right now, what would you change? But in the light of this conversation, that question seems totally meaningless, really, because it's so complex and so overwhelming uh, and so monolithic that what's needed is much more than tweaks around the edges. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I've, I've been kind of in there around criminal justice for 30 years, trying to make it a bit better in, in various ways. But I think one of the things that Distant Voices has taught me is that it, it needs to be much, much more fundamental than that. Like we have to really go back to first principles and start again. The house is built on the wrong foundations and redecorating the rooms isn't going to make anything better. No, I think it needs uh, time for a reform, isn't it? I think that's where we're landing. Okay, let's end on a slightly more hopeful note. 
it's time for today's Song from the Archive. And this is where we dig into our stash of over 150 songs that have been written through the Distant Voices project and share a lesser known track. After this tune, we're going to hear from a few guest listeners. But first, here's the lovely C. Duncan to introduce the track. Am I Dreaming is a song I co-wrote with Eddie in Castle Huntley at my first ever Vox Luminous and Distant Voices session. Here's what Eddie had to say about the song. This song is written for me and my wife. We have been apart now going on 14 years, and at times we both thought about giving up on our marriage. But after a recent chat with my wife, we have both agreed that we still love each other and it's worth saving our marriage. To me, this is just a dream come true. Did I misunderstand you? Get the wrong end of the stick. Baby, am I dreaming? Did you say what you just said? Did you say you'll take me back and start all over again? My name is John Cross. Hello, my name is Lindsay Shields-Waters. Hi, my name is Hector McInnes, and I've just listened to the song Am I Dreaming by Eddie and C. Duncan. The thing that strikes me most about the lyrics of this optimistic song is the contrast in meaning between the old days and the past. The song made me feel uplifted and happy. The strumming guitar and simplistic positivity of the lyrics are comforting and reassuring. I actually just feel really privileged to have heard it. The music was beautifully nostalgic. A line that stood out was, chasing down the moonbeams, find shelter 
after dark. My favourite songwriters are the ones that don't want to waste a word and don't want to waste a note. And I loved how this song just gets to work like that. It goes straight to a single crucial moment of realisation and shares it really honestly and just totally nails it. And the lyrics were so real and honest and really the kind of song that we all wish someone would write about us. Thanks to Ian, Fergus and all the songwriters represented in today's music and our guest listeners. If you're admiring the visuals for the series, then you might be interested to know that today's guest, Ian, is behind all the graphic design for the podcasts. You can find out more about his work at ClydeBuiltGraphicDesign.com. Thanks for listening to The Art of Bridging. And if you'd like to respond to what you've heard today, or if you'd like to be a guest listener for a future song from the archive, do get in touch with us through the Vox Luminous website, voxluminous.co.uk. See you next time. Give me the news in an honest picture, a seasoned book and a set of wheels. A flash of your eye from across the party, a quiet light.